The scripture reading will be from Hebrews chapter 10, verses 5 to 18. Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and off he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. With burnt offerings and sin offerings you were not pleased. Then I said, Here I am, it is written about me in the scroll. I have come to do your will, my God. First, he said, Sacrifices and offerings, burnt offerings and sin offerings you did not desire, nor were you pleased with them, though they were offered in accordance with the law. Then he said, Here I am, I have come to do your will. He sets aside the first to establish the second, and by that will we have been made holy through the sacrifice of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away his sins. But when this priest had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, and since that time he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice he has been made perfect forever, those who are being made holy. The Holy Spirit also testifies to us about this. First, he says, this is the covenant I will, make you, I will make with them after that time, says the Lord. I will put my laws in their hearts, and I will write them on their minds. Then he adds, their sins and lawless acts I will remember no more. And where these have been forgiven, sacrifice for sin is no longer necessary. On that first Christmas... Back in Bethlehem, earth was oblivious of the significance of a simple birth in a quiet little town. But heaven wasn't. The holy angels waited in anticipation to break out into praise and worship and adoration at the birth of the newborn child. This child's birth meant deliverance for mankind. The angel had told Joseph... He will save his people from their sins. Now, unlike Isaac, son of Abraham, who ascended the mountain unaware that he was going to be the sacrifice, Jesus descended from heaven in full awareness of what the Father had in store for him. Scripture records for us what may have been a farewell message Jesus gave to his Father just prior to his incarnation. When he comes into the world, he says, Therefore, when Christ came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you prepared for me. I have come to do your will, my God. That passage of Scripture gives us an amazing look at the heart of the Savior before his birth. He knew he was entering the world to be the final and ultimate sacrifice of sin. His body had been divinely prepared by God specifically for that purpose. Jesus was going to die for the sins of the world, and he knew it, and he was doing it willingly. That was the whole point of the incarnation. The important issue of Christmas is not so much that Jesus came, but why he came. You see, there was no salvation in his birth. Nor did the sinless way he lived his life have any redemptive force of its own. His example, as flawless as it was, could not rescue men from their sins. 
Even his teaching, the greatest truth ever revealed to mankind, could not save us from our sins. There was a price to be paid for sin. Someone had to die, and only Jesus could do it. Now, Jesus did come to earth, of course, to reveal God to mankind. He came to teach truth. He did come to fulfill the law. He came to offer his kingdom. He came to show us how to live. He came to reveal God's love. He came to bring peace. He, he came to heal the sick. He came to minister to the needy. But all those reasons are incidental to his ultimate purpose. You see, he could have done all of that without being born as a human. He could have simply appeared like he did as the angel of the Lord in the Old Testament and accomplished everything in that list without actually becoming human. But he had one more reason for coming. He came to die. Here's a side of the Christmas story that isn't often told at Christmas time. The very first Christmas gift, those soft little hands fashioned by the Holy Spirit in Mary's womb were made so that nails could be driven into them. Those baby feet, pink and unable to walk yet, would one day stagger up a dusty hill to be nailed to a cross. That sweet infant's head with sparkling eyes and eager mouth was formed so that someday men might force a crown of thorns upon it. And that tender body, warm and soft, wrapped in swaddling clothes, would one day be ripped open by a spear. Jesus was born to die. Now, don't think I'm trying to put a damper on Christmas this year. I, I, the, far from it. No, not doing that at all. Because Jesus' death, though planned and plotted and carried out by men with evil intent, was in no way a horrible tragedy. In fact, it represents the greatest victory over evil that anyone has ever accomplished. The author of Hebrews illustrates how the full story of his birth includes his sacrificial death. In Hebrews chapter 2, we read this. Listen. But we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while, now crowned with glory and honor because he suffered death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered." Since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared in their humanity, so that by his death he might break the power of him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. Christ was the perfect gift that we celebrate, given by the Father to redeem the world. Those verses that Luke read for us this morning were from Hebrews chapter 10, and it gives us a glimpse into the effectiveness of Christ's sacrifice, the perfection, the superiority, the all-sufficiency of His sacrifice. So why was His birth and death so perfect? Why was it so effective? Why was the gift that we celebrate at Christmas the be-all and end-all of gifts? Let me give you a few reasons this morning that we find in Hebrews 10 that we read. First of all, Christ's sacrifice was completely sufficient because it fulfilled God's design. 
And Nancy mentioned that today we're looking at Christmas past. Friday we looked at Christmas present. Now you say, how did something 2,000 years ago, how can we call that present? Well, the church age is the present, and in light of all of eternity, 2,000 years is still all present. So that's what happened. But, and then the next Sunday, we're actually going to be looking at future, uh, excuse me, Christmas future. But to understand future, uh, the Christmas past and to understand the fulfilling of God's design, we do need to go way back in history, before Bethlehem, before time, before mankind, before Genesis, into eternity past. as really past. There was a promise, an agreement made that's referred to in Hebrews as the eternal or the everlasting covenant. In Hebrews 13 verse 20 we read, Now may the God of peace who brought up our Lord Jesus Christ from the dead, that great shepherd of the sheep, through the blood of the everlasting covenant or the eternal covenant, make you complete in every good work to do his will. So what was that covenant? The everlasting covenant is the divine promise of God. In the everlasting covenant, God the Father, Jesus the Son, And the Holy Spirit all got together and made an agreement among themselves to bring us to salvation. Now normally covenants were made between those of different authority levels. Like a king with a subject, they would make a covenant together. But in the everlasting covenant, all the parties involved, the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, were all equal. And this covenant was made before the universe was created, and it consisted of the Father promising to bring to the Son all whom the Father had given Him, to send the Son to be the representative of all the people, to prepare a body for the Son, and to give the Son all authority in heaven on earth. The Son agreed to become a man to become for a little while lower than the angels, and to be born under the law, and to, be, and to die for the sins of the world, and then to be raised by His Father from the dead. The Holy Spirit agreed to empower Jesus to do the will of the Father and Christ's ministry on earth, and to apply that redemptive work of Christ to Christians and then to seal us into salvation and to be a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance. Isn't that amazing? What a covenant. God the Father, because He loved God the Son, the first member of the Trinity, having this unique love for the second member of the Trinity, wanted to give Him a gift. The Father wanted to give the Son a gift. That was God the Father's first Christmas gift, and it was to His Son. It was to his son. The gift that he wanted to give his son was a redeemed humanity. A redeemed humanity who would spend forever and ever and ever praising the son and glorifying him. That was the most glorious way that God could deem to express his love for his son. Giving him a great cloud, as it were, of redeemed people who would praise him forever and ever. 
Remember that mankind and all of creation belonged to Jesus Christ in the beginning because God created it all. To redeem, excuse me, we've, we've talked about this a number, you remember back in John chapter 1 verse 3, through him all things were made, through Christ all things were made, without him nothing was made that has been made. Now in order to keep good on his promise and give a redeemed humanity to Christ, God had to redeem mankind. To redeem just simply means to buy back. And since, the man, since mankind fell into sin from the beginning of time, it, when the fall took place back in Genesis chapter 3, and they sold their souls to the devil, God had to set in place a redemption plan, a purchase plan. And the plan was that in order for God to give this redeemed humanity to his son, the son would have to come to earth and die. Whew, pretty costly price for a gift. But that would be his part in providing the sacrifice which would act as an atonement for sin. In other words, he would, hear, he would bear in his body, Christ would bear in his body the sins of all the sinners who were part of that covenant that's how he was going to pay for their sin, by bearing the punishment of God for them. It would free them then from any punishment. That was a plan. That was a plan, and it's called the eternal covenant or the everlasting covenant. We read in Colossians chapter 1, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, in Christ, and through him, through Christ, to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. An often quoted Bible teacher and theologian from the past by the name of A.W. Pink wrote this, the grand fact is that Christ's death was a completion of his agreement with the Father, which guarantees the salvation of all who were named in that agreement, not one of, for whom he died can possibly miss heaven. That goes back to that blessed assurance that we have that we talked about last week. Christ then on the cross confirmed this eternal covenant. He came into the world on that first Christmas day in Bethlehem to play the very special role that God had designed for him to play in this redeeming of humanity. His death then became the focal point of the whole plan. Apart from the death of Christ, it couldn't happen. So everything that happened starting very early in Genesis 3 began to point towards that event. It starts with a promise in Genesis 3, 3 that there is going to be a son. And by what he does, he's going to bruise the head of the servant, uh, serpent, excuse me, which means he's going to deliver a fatal blow to Satan. Yeah, the amazing picture of Abraham, of course, going to take his son as a sacrifice. And instead of his son dying, there's a provision. There's another who steps into the gap. It's a ram that's caught in that thicket. And the ram is to give his life in place of the son. And in that example, we already have a picture of the substitutionary atonement, the substitution that Christ was going to do. But there, it, there had to be a death. 
You have it even earlier than that. You, you have God rejecting the offering of Cain. We talked about that a while back. Why? Because it wasn't a blood sacrifice. It wasn't sufficient. And from the very beginning, the whole sacrificial system was designed to depict this great ratification of the eternal covenant that would come in the death of Jesus Christ. Cain was out of line because he violated the symbol of that sacrifice, the whole meaning of that sacrifice, by offering the fruit of the ground rather than a blood sacrifice. All throughout the Old Testament, God has ordained a sacrificial system that resulted in the constant flow of blood. And all of it was looking forward to and depicting the ultimate ratification of that covenant that would come in the blood of Christ. The whole sacrificial system was a symbol If we look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 4, it says, For it was not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sin. It couldn't. It wasn't possible because it was never intended to. It was simply a picture or a symbol of that ratification of the covenant made in eternity past between the Father and the Son, which would take place on the cross when Christ died. And all that symbolism stopped after the death of Christ, because there was no longer a need for shadows, because, there, because the substance had come. There's no longer need for pictures or glimpses, no more symbolism, because the reality was now here. And that's why after the death of Jesus Christ, the sacrificial system ceased to exist. It was no longer necessary. All the Old Testament sacrificial system had been looking forward to the coming of Christ, And Jesus knew full well what his part in that plan was. He had agreed to it when he was born there in Bethlehem. And later on in his ministry, he said, I came to do my Father's will. Way back in eternity past, I came to accomplish that. He was referring back to that covenant he made with his Father, to the task that would fall to him on the cross to pay the price for your sins and mine. Take a look at verse 5 there in Hebrews 10. Therefore, when he came into the world, that's interesting. That statement alone, by the way, assumes Christ's preexistence. He wasn't born. He came into the world. When he came into the world, he says, sacrifice and offering you did not desire. In other words, all that has been going on, the whole Old Testament sacrificial system was not adequate. It was not sufficient to fulfill God's plan. And so he says, you didn't desire that. That that was not the ratification or the fulfillment of that covenant. But he says, a body you have prepared for me. The plan, that eternal covenant, could not find its satisfaction in animal sacrifice. There had to be a special body, a body specially prepared for the incarnation. And the reason comes again in verse 6, because God was not satisfied. In burnt offerings and sacrifices, he writes, for sin, you had no pleasure. But that's not the way it was with Christ. In Christ, God was pleased. God was satisfied. This is my beloved Son in whom, what? I am well pleased. And we read just uh, shortly ago, Colossians, in, in Colossians chapter 1, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things. How? By making peace through his blood shed on the cross. This sacrifice was pleasing to God. And in verse 7 there in Hebrew, it says, Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the volume of the book it is written of me to do your will. My God. 
Jesus was saying that he came to fulfill that eternal purpose. Paul in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 11, refers to the eternal purpose, and I'm quoting the eternal purpose which he, talking about God the Father, which he accomplished in Christ Jesus. That takes us back to that everlasting covenant again. Jesus was committed to fulfilling his part of that covenant. In John chapter 14, verse 31, Jesus mentioned this to his disciples. For he comes, Jesus is speaking, for he comes, speaking about himself, kind of in the third person, for he comes so that the world may learn that I love the Father and do exactly what my Father has commanded me. Past tense. In other words, I'm going to go to the cross because that's why I came. That's what we agreed upon. You remember him saying to Peter a little while later when Peter had just cut off the the ear of that uh, soldier there in the Garden of Gethsemane. He says, shall I not drink the cup which my Father has given me? Even way back in the Old Testament in Isaiah chapter 50, Verse 5, the Lord God has opened my ear, and I was not rebellious, nor did I turn away. I gave my back to those who struck me, and my cheeks to those who plucked out the beard. I did not hide my face from shame and spitting. In, order, in other words, in, order, in, in, in submission to God the Father, Jesus the Son came into the world, took on a body, and went through everything that God had planned from eternity past. And so Jesus becomes for us the perfect high priest. His sacrifice is a perfect sacrifice because it absolutely and completely fulfills God's design. Design, by the way, that verse 7 says was written in the volume of the book. Volume of the book is talk about the Old Testament. is all written down in the Old Testament. That brings us to the second reason that Christ's sacrifice was sufficient. And that's because his sacrifice was perfect. And it was perfect because it replaced the old inadequate system. In verses 8 and 9, we read, Previously saying, sacrifice and offering, burnt offerings and offerings for sin, you did not desire nor had pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Verse 9, then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first, that he may establish the second In other words, the sacrifice of Jesus Christ eliminates the old and provides the new. The old is done away with in verse 8, and the new comes in verse 9. The law was given by Moses, but grace and truth came by Jesus Christ. God planned a better sacrifice and shows here that the old must be put away. Because the substance, the real, the actual is now here. The shadow can be replaced. And then, he, then we come to the third point, which, which begins to tell us why his sacrifice was so much better. Christ's sacrifice is better because it sanctifies the believer. Verse 10, by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. We know that God's will was that mankind be sanctified. That's very clear throughout Scripture. The word hagiadzo, to be sanctified, means to be set apart to God, to be set apart from sin, to be made holy. That's all included in that one word. And here it has to do with salvation. The, the, The words we have been sanctified in the Greek text is a perfect, what they call a perfect participle and a finite verb. 
And what that shows is, in the strongest way, is a permanent and continuous state of salvation. Permanent and continuous state of salvation in which the believer exists. This back, goes again back to our message of last week. The, the, the blessed assurance, the assurance of our salvation that we have. And Jesus accomplished it once for all. And that's a remarkable reality of the sacrifice of Christ. So Christ offers the perfect sacrifice, and by that one offering, we are sanctified. Something which all the offerings in the Old Testament could not do. No one could or can be made holy by an animal sacrifice. No matter how many religious activities or works he or she engages in, all the best works of the sacrificial system couldn't do it. But by the death of Jesus Christ, we are now set apart from sin. You say, well, how how were all the Old Testament saints then set apart from sin? How were they forgiven? They were set apart from sin and forgiven by faith, by a repentant faith, a desire to be obedient to God, to love God, to acknowledge God, to believe His Word. And God accepted their faith and granted to them forgiveness and righteousness, listen, on the basis of the sacrifice of Christ, which was yet to come. And so in that sense, it was retroactive. Isn't that cool? So Christ's sacrifice is better because it sanctifies the believers forwards and backwards. How perfect can you get? Fourthly, in understanding the all-sufficiency and comprehensive perfection of the sacrifice of Christ, it actually removes sin. We touched on this a couple weeks ago. We find that in verse 11 here in Hebrews, it says, And every priest stands ministry daily, and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. As we know, the whole tribe of Levi in the Old Testament were priests, and there were 24 orders of priests, and and each order had a slew of priests under under them. And their job was to take care of the temple and make sure all the sacrifices were cared for day after day. And they had a schedule. And these priests did all the sacrificing over and over and over, day after day after day after day. Why? Because it never really could eliminate sin. It just had to be repeated and repeated and repeated. It never provided a finality, a final, ultimate provision for sin. But on the other hand, it says in verse 12, Jesus offered one sacrifice, one time for sins for all time, and then sat down. It is done. And you remember his his words on the cross, it is finished. It's done. As far as the east is from the west, he removes our sin. It cannot, this sacrifice cannot be repeated. It doesn't need to be repeated because it removes sin once for all on behalf of those who believe. And as we've already studied in 1 John chapter 3, verse 5, it tells us, but you know that he appeared so that he might what? Take away sins. Only his sacrifice. That was a sacrifice of Christ. That's why it was so perfect. It actually removes sins as far as the east is from the west. And there's a fifth reason. His sacrifice destroyed his enemies. Verse 13. By this man, speaking of course of Jesus, 
by this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God from that time, waiting till his enemies are made his footstool. It says that it is through the work of Jesus Christ that his enemies will be made the footstools for his feet. That's an amazing statement. The overpowering of all of God's enemies is accomplished in the sacrifice of Jesus. It refers back to Psalm 110, verse 1, where it says, The Lord said to my Lord, the Father said to the Son, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. It goes all the way back to Genesis, prophesying the Son will bruise Satan's uh, head. The writer of Hebrews speaks of this in chapter 2. Verse 14, when he writes, Insomuch then as the children have partaken of flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared in the same, that through his death he might destroy him who had the power of death. That is the, that is the devil. That's the purpose. One of the main purposes is destroy the devil. He was not only going to redeem mankind, he was going to destroy Satan. The day is coming when having already bruised the serpent's head, he will retake the earth, cast Satan, his unholy angels, and all the godly into the lake of fire. We've been studying about these events in the book of Revelation. It's been fascinating. And number six, his sacrifice was sufficient and perfect because it perfected forever the saints. That's an amazing statement. It perfected forever his saints. Verse 4, for by one offering he was perfected, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. There is again the salvation his sacrifice provided is forever. Not like the animal sacrifices on the day of atonement. Not by the constant daily sacrifices of the old covenant. Old covenant forgiveness was somehow tied to each sin and each sacrifice, and a new sacrifice had to, be, uh, had to be given and taken care of after the next sin. But now in Christ, there is total forgiveness and complete security, perfected forever. It means put into permanent state of complete righteousness. Perfected forever means put into a permanent state of complete righteousness by being covered with the righteousness of Christ. This sacrifice provided an eternal forgiveness. There's actually one more. The last here in this passage. Since this sacrifice of Jesus Christ fulfills the promise of God for a new covenant, we could say that it affirms God's faithfulness. His sacrifice affirms God's faithfulness, His trustworthiness. You know, the Jews under the old covenant waited and waited, and waited, wondering when the Messiah was going to come to bring in that new covenant. Well, here, starting in verse 15, it tells us, but the Holy Spirit also witnessed to us, for after he had said before, this is the covenant that I will make with them after those days, says the Lord, I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds I will write them. Then he adds, their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Now, what does that mean? There's sins I'll remember. No, you know, the stuff that I did yesterday that I've asked God to forgive me for, He doesn't remember them. <laughs> Isn't that cool? They're gone. For after He said before, 
the writer says here. What, what, did he, what did he say? When did he say this before? He's referring back to J- Jeremiah chapter 31, uh, verse 31. When that statement was originally made, the days are coming, declares the Lord, Jeremiah writes, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. What covenant is that? that that's the new covenant, the New Testament, the birth, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ and the coming of the Holy Spirit to live in us. Verse 33 of Jeremiah 31 goes on to explain, this is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time. What time? After the time of Jesus' coming. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. No more of this tablet stuff. It's going to be in their minds. It's going to be in their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. This was God's promise. And the people of old waited and waited and waited. And finally, in Christ, the new covenant came just as God said it would. And in verse 18, the the writer of this passage, he kind of sums it all up by saying, Now, where there is remission of these, talking about our sins, there is no longer an offering for sin. Why? Because there's no need. We can depend for all of time and eternity on that one sacrifice For eternal salvation. The sacrifice of Jesus Christ then is effective forever. It's effective for all who believe because one, it fulfills God's design. Two, it replaces the old inadequate system. Three, it sanctifies the believer. Four, it removes sin and replaces it um, with righteousness. Five, it destroys the enemy and all who follow him. Six, it brings with it eternal security. And seven, it fulfills the promise of God and so convinces us of his faithfulness. So perfect that nothing can be added to it. And all we have to do is ask and believe it. Believe in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And you will be saved. You will be a part of this covenant. Romans 3.23 says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are just justified freely by His grace through the redemption that came by Christ Jesus. Romans 6.23, For the wages of sin is death, eternal, forever death. But, it's always a positive, but, The gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know, it's true that salvation and therefore eternal life is a gift for all of mankind, and we celebrate that even on Christmas. But a redeemed mankind was first a special gift from the Father to the Son. You know what's so great? You and I are part of the Father's gift to the Son. Have you ever thought about that? We are part of God's gift. So as we celebrate Christmas, it's appropriate to commemorate the birth of Christ, and we should. But we can't ever make a mistake of leaving him as a baby in the manger. We need to keep in mind that his birth was just the first step in God's glorious plan of redemption. Remember that it's the triumph of Christ's sacrificial death that gives meaning to his humble birth. You can't truly celebrate one without the other. Listen to these words uh, that we're about to sing. Hark, 
the herald angels sing. Glory to the newborn king, peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners, what? Reconciled, redeemed mankind, God's gift to his son, God and sinners reconciled, the everlasting, the eternal covenant made before time. Then listen to verse 3. Hail the heaven-born Prince of Peace. Hail the Son of Righteousness. Light and life to all He brings, risen with healing in His wings. Mild, He lays His glory side, or uh, glory by. That's Philippians chapter 2, isn't it? Who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing. He laid his glory by, by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness. Mild, he lays his glory by. Why? Listen. Born that man no more may die. Born to raise the sons of earth. Born to give them second birth. Wow. God the Father's gift to His Son, a redeemed mankind, which we are part of. Father, thank You. Thank You for Your gift. First to Your your Son. When the three of You, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, got together talking about this, how are we going to do this? Here's what we're planning out. You laid out the the whole plan in detail. The Son says, yes. I'm going to do that. The Holy Spirit says, yes, I'm going to be there to help him do that. And together, all three of us, we are going to redeem mankind, every person that asks Jesus to save him from his sins, believing in Jesus' name as Savior and Lord. We will include in this covenant that we are making now, before eternity even began, or before time even began, our time in eternity past, came to die, came to save, came to raise, came to give us a second birth so we can live forever with you. Father, we praise you. We glorify you. For Christmas, we glorify you. For Jesus, being, uh, we, that we celebrate at Christmas time, coming and becoming a human so, so he could take on for us what needed to be done so we could be with you for all of eternity. We praise you and glorify you. In Jesus' name, amen.